there, this is Sam Buck, your host of Go Go Gadget Local. On this show, I'll be highlighting some of Ann Arbor, Michigan's most beloved local businesses. I'll be speaking with the founders to learn their stories, the inspiration behind what they've done, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. But mostly, we'll be looking at how local community is at the very heart of what these founders have built. In an age of optimization and efficiency, where you can get anything delivered to your door almost instantaneously, we'll explore how local can be an incredible and differentiating strength, how authentic community connection and service can create resiliency. In our very first episode, I'll be speaking with John Roos, founder of Roos Roast. John's story started in Ann Arbor and saw him travel around the world, working as a carpenter, chef, car salesman, you name it, John's done it. Along the way, he fell head over heels in love with coffee, everything about it, from the taste to the culture that surrounded it. John found a way to turn that love and passion into Ann Arbor's favorite and most off-the-wall coffee spot. It's clear through this interview that Ruse Roast is the fullest expression of John and the community he calls home. He pours himself and his wild history into every single cup. I spoke with John over Zoom as I sipped a giant cup of his badass women coffee blend. You'll hear John's phone go off a few times during this interview. He's a popular guy and Ruse Roast does not sleep. John, if you're listening to this, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. To everyone else, pour yourself a big mug of coffee and enjoy. How's it going, John? Welcome. Hey, Sam, thank you so much for asking me to get on the, to do a Zoom meeting uh, slash podcast with you. No, I appreciate it. As I, as I mentioned a little bit ago, I've already got my fuel for the morning. I've got my badass women cup right next to me. Thanks for fueling the morning in more than one way. Nice, nice. Drinking the lobster butter love right here in my handmade mug that I made myself. There you go. <laughs> I was ready. I, was, I, I kind of like had a hard time sleeping because I, was, I never really prepared for anything, but uh, I just like was thinking about the questions all night. They're good questions, so. Yeah. Yeah. No, let, let's dive right in that. So um, yeah. you know that this podcast, it's about local Ann Arbor businesses and the community around them and the community that supports them. And you've obviously been a part of this community for about as long as is possible. You were born in Ann Arbor. So I'd love to just start with what was it like growing up in this community in Ann Arbor? Yeah. Ann Arbor was an amazing place to grow up. And I kind of, I feel pretty lucky because I grew up you know, starting in the, like I was born in 1962. So I got to see like the sixties, the seventies. And so I was here for two decades almost just as a kid. And uh, so this is Ann Arbor. Like, I don't think Roos Roast would actually exist the way it does without Ann Arbor because this community has supported me like insanely. And uh, it's a great place. It's, I mean, it's changed, it's changed over the years a lot, but um, I think that, uh, as far as like the University of Michigan and um, you know all the super great people who live here. I mean, when I was a kid, there were you have to remember this was before you know you had uh, smartphones. There was no like the TV didn't even have like uh, weather you know twenty four hour weather or any kind of twenty four hour news. So it was very small. And but 
there were there were record shops and bookstores. Um, Borders Books started here. Domino's Pizza started here. So there are a lot of really smart people who were thinking about like how to, you know, get how to grow something or build something. And then all the, you know, the auto industry is not far away either and the University of Michigan and the hospitals. So it was, there's, and you know, it's funny as a kid, I grew up in a, in a real moderately, my, my father was a barber and my mother worked part-time as a bank teller. So we were, you know, we never had like a lot of cash on hand, but I, that never stopped me from doing whatever I, I had like ideas and wanted to build things and do things. I was always working on cars or motorcycles or, you know, and I'd always search out and find someone and people would always help me. It was bizarre. It was like, you know, my wife tells me now she's like, you know, I don't know how you get people to just do stuff for you, but I just, it's kind of like the Tom Sawyer thing where I just start painting the fence. And next thing you know, everyone wants to jump in and paint the fence with me, but from building off building motors or whatever the I was always doing crazy stuff so Ruse Roast is very much an extension of that but yeah so growing up in Ann Arbor was really great we know that Ann Arbor was just one of your many many stops and it seems like there were a few stepping stones that led you to the place where you're now making coffee at Ruse Roast what were a couple of those pivotal stops maybe both locations and also, I know you had some pretty interesting jobs that you held down. Yeah, the funny thing was, is as a kid, I just really, the job part of being in Ann Arbor was not good for me because I just, I had no college aspirations or plans. And my parents were definitely not, they, neither of them had gone to like higher education. So no one was helping me with applications or loans or anything. And uh, so I, I basically, you know, I, I remember in high school, I saw these posters of this, the ski club had put up of trips from Colorado and stuff. And I was like, oh, I, I got to go there. That's, that's where I'm going to be. So I just kind of decided I was going to be a carpenter. I had taken a lot of the industrial arts classes in, in, at Pioneer High here in Ann Arbor, which were amazing. I mean, I have to say that my high school, all my public school at, at education here in Ann Arbor was amazing. Like I, I've, these teachers were amazing. So I learned a lot. And so I was, I was kind of like studying like engineering and drawing and all these things. And so I uh, moved to Colorado with this idea I was going to be a carpenter. And that was a big thing. Getting just moving away from Michigan was really good for me because it was getting to the point where it was like the seventies, things are pretty, pre pretty grim here. You know, I was looking at a job at like Burger King or something, you know, is <laughs> my future. So uh, it's funny, like, even as a kid, I would like, um, when I got to Colorado, I started, you know, I was one of the early adapters to like getting coffee beans, uh, you know, so I just like started, I went from carpentry to cooking really quickly um, and just started, you know, working in restaurants because I was living in a skier at Breckenridge and that was a very small skier at the time. And, and I was just cooking and skiing and I wanted, really wanted to learn how to ski. So that was kind of a, I sort of, that's where I started getting this idea of combining work and play you know how could i how how could i work make money and then have a good time and play too so colorado was a really good place for that because you could ski in the day and work in a restaurant at night and i think in ann arbor i had all my job experiences were like you know i worked at a burger shop i dishwashed at this giant like roma hall play it was it was like a giant italian catering place and i mean we were it was really hard work and you know, you just weren't treated very well. So I was, as I got more and more jobs, 
uh, I just was always kind of trying to accumulate this. How would I run my own business? You know, how would I, I would, how would I treat my employees? So that was kind of in the back of my head, but yeah, I, I really, the chef I worked with in Colorado to get back to the main question is he encouraged me to uh, travel and cook and check and try new, you know, go. And so I started really, I took him up on that and I, and I, I went all over, you know, I, I different friends, like one of my friends had worked for Wolfgang Puck and she was dating my buddy. And so she arranged for me to come to these New York, these restaurants in New York where she worked. So I worked at two different restaurants in New York um, as just like, like three or four month periods where I just got to live in New York and work there. Then I went to Miami and I went, I moved to France and then I moved to Hawaii. I was traveling everywhere. And uh, I, I worked in Thailand. I worked in Hong Kong for a while. So all these different places I was cooking, but I realized that like the, it's all very similar, you know, and it's just the language of food and work and organization and, you know, keeping track of stuff. So that was really, that was kind of building up this thing. But I guess where I really discovered coffee was in 1989, I, I went to um, Oregon um, and uh, I was out there. I had built this like food truck, which was called the killer takeout stand. And um, that was, it was funny when I was, I was, I was grinding my own coffee in the truck and serving what was a Melita coffee, which was like a pour over. And I was making one for this guy. His name is Doug Van Zandt. And he, uh, he was a sale maker. And so he was watching me do this. And he said to me, he goes, he goes, coffee, just add water. And I was like, that really, it's kind of stuck with me. So that was the, like, I was just like, yeah, coffee, just add water. And then in or then I went to Portland, Oregon, and I drank some coffee from uh, a place, and I was just like, "Wow, you know I kind of I felt like I'd arrived because it was a little cafe and it was at night, and all these people were piled up outside, and I walked in and you could hear the grinders grinding coffee, and you could hear the steam, and you could just smell the espresso, you know you could smell the coffee fresh ground coffee, and it was it was so intense, and I was just like, "This is cool, this is what I want to do." So that kind of like stuck with me for a long time. I continue to cook and work. And then I end up moving to Portland and uh, I lived in Portland, Oregon for about 15 years. And that's kind of where I first was introduced to roasting and all that stuff. Kind of look, I sort of worked the equation backwards and wanted to learn like, how do you do this? You know, how do you make that cup of coffee so good? So can you share a couple secrets in how you make the coffee so good? What did you <laughs> learn in those yeah. 15 years and in the years at Ruse Roast afterwards? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, you just have to get fresh coffee, you know, freshly roast coffee. Well, first of all, buy really good coffee in, in the beginning. And then the fresh roast, you know, find out what kind of coffee you like and then make it really strong. And uh, if you, and then the part of it is just like freshly grind it and then you get your water, get really good water and you boil the water or you don't really need to even boil it. You get your water up to about 202 degrees, you know, right in there, 202, 198, something like that. And then you, you know, pour it over the coffee. And I always let it rest for three to four minutes or so. Like say you're making a pour over. Pour over is a really good way to, uh, which is a single cup of coffee. So you're just putting the coffee in a filter, you're pouring the water in, letting it steep for three or four minutes and then adding water slowly to that. And I mean, pretty much if you, and then don't put too much water, you know, just like one cup at a time. 
is really great. And I think that is, you know, just, you know, find out what you like, light roast, dark roast, what kind of coffee do you like? Yeah. So you said you went to Portland and you started learning how to roast beans. Where was the jump? I feel like there's a jump between roasting beans for yourself and maybe a couple of friends and roasting beans and turning into a business and selling bags to other people and selling cups of coffee. How did that, that transformation from maybe just dabbling and roasting to, to running a roasting business happen? Yeah, that was, so that was really funny. Cause so what happened is, is I, I, I was in Portland and I started taking these um, summer, I, I was really, I really wanted to do like an artist internship or fellowship or something. So I started working at this place in Massachusetts in the summers um, in uh, Provincetown. And I was like basically the maintenance man of this place called the Fine Arts Work Center. It was really great. It was like my summer by the ocean. I was hanging out with all these painters and printmakers and stuff and learning all the stuff. And they had like this coffee place. It was, the coffee was really thin, very, very, you know, New England style. And uh, so I was having this person send me out coffee from, from Oregon while I was there. And then I got, then it, then something happened. I had, I didn't go back to Oregon. I went, I went, came back to Michigan. And then I was in Michigan and I met, a, I met this woman, um, my buddy Elise, and she I moved in with her. So I was just completely like basically stranded in Michigan with no coffee. And then <laughs> I was getting really bored too. So I saw this New York or this Wall Street Journal article. I was just like, it was about home coffee roasters. And I was like, check this out. I'm gonna, I ordered, so I ordered one. They, they mentioned three or four roasters and I got this little like electric thing. And I, I basically, I basically burned up three of them. I kept sending them back and burning them off and they were breaking. And, uh, but I was, I, and I, and I was going, I was riding down the road back in Ann Arbor and I saw this garage sale and I, I found a little, it was a Starbucks espresso machine. The guy was selling it for $15. I mean, they basically retail for like two or $300. So I was like, I picked this espresso machine up. So now I had an espresso machine and his little coffee roaster in her garage. And then I just started roasting beans based on, you know, I knew, I just started training myself in all the different coffees. Like, you know, I get Indonesian, I get Sumatra, I get Bolivian, I get, you know, uh, Brazilian, Colombian. I just started buying all the coffee beans and roasting them and trying the different, you know, as a chef, kind of like roasting them and trying them. And then I, you know, since I'd been doing all this art and printmaking, I started kind of making these coffee bags in the garage. And I just, it just kind of like, it was really funny. It just started, you know, people would come by, I'd, they'd be like, what are you doing? I'm like roasting coffee. And they'd say like, oh my God, that's crazy. And then, well, what, what's really funny is I just, I got this really, I bought another roaster that was a little bit bigger and basically almost burnt the garage down. It was like, it said right on it, never roast unattended. But I walked in the house and my friend was watching this uh, tea. She was watching some show like The Sopranos or something. And I started getting sucked in, you know? And all, she had these, this is a really funny story. She maybe I told you this when you came to the uh, when you were at Roost Roast, but so she she was a school teacher, so she had all these gerbils, and I was noticing how the gerbils were like standing up and doing all this weird stuff, and I'm like, wow, what's going on? And I looked out the window, and all I could see was white smoke. I'm just like, oh no, the roast, the roast. So I went in the garage, 
I broke in the, I opened the door. It was a little tiny garage. And the, this roaster was basically a George Foreman, like rotisserie thing, electric powered. And it had beans going around inside of it. And uh, sorry, my phone keeps ringing. And um, so uh, <laughs> the, I, was, I couldn't see anything because it was just like white smoke pouring out of the garage. And then uh, I, um, I got in there and this thing was on fire. The, the wood shelf that was sitting on was burning. And I was like, oh my God. So I grabbed the whole thing and like tossed it off the door. Coffee beans don't, they, they, they're like napalm once they start burning too. They're really, <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And uh, so I had, a, I put out the fire and you know, she was like, she was pretty upset. And so the first coffee, the first place that actually Gene Henry at, um, at um the it's called uh jefferson market that's when gene henry owned jefferson market she was the first person to like say i'll carry your coffee at that point and i think my coffee at that point was like super dark roast burnt like practically burnt and it was like really crazy but um yeah that's where i first started selling coffee and then it just started like kind of growing a little by little but what happened is this is a pretty funny story i'm going to tell you this like so i was not making any money and i'm just like oh my god i need to get a job i was doing construction kind of by myself and it was really it was really dismal and uh so i was and i always and i kind of like i have i keep journals all the time it's basically i i write journal stuff to keep me entertained entertain myself so i was like i saw this job as a to as a subaru um car salesman at uh the dunning Subaru dealership i saw this listing in the that's when there was actually still, you know, listings in the, in the newspaper or it was in like a little Ann Arbor news. And uh, so that was like 2004. So I decided to take a job as a car salesman and uh, it was crazy. I mean, I, I had three or four interviews and I decided to do this job. And, uh, but the funny thing was that job, I, I stuck with it. And what I realized like really like two weeks of into doing it is I realized that, um, as a car salesman, you need to have an identity because no one would remember you. There was one guy who was like, he'd been in Alaska. So everyone was like, where's Jerry from Alaska? Another guy was like a, he claimed to be like a Kung Fu expert and a race car driver. And everyone remembered him, but he didn't even work there anymore. His name was Outback Wally. They'd come in all the time asking for this guy. And he never, he was never there. He didn't, and I was like, man, that guy, like, I don't know what he did. So I just became John the coffee guy. I started bringing all my coffee to work. I would, and I'd just tell people right away, wouldn't even talk about the car. I would just be like, you know, if you, when you buy a car from me today, I'm going to give you a bag of this coffee that I roast in my garage this morning. So that was my whole pitch. And I just worked that. And it just became like, they would, it worked. I mean, people would buy the car, buy the coffee, and then they started coming back to the dealership and buying more and more coffee. So the dealership was fine with it because they, they loved that I was, you know, selling lots of cars. And, and I never sold cars or that I'd never done any sales before, but it turned out it was a great job for me because I, I was, I was really good at it. Cause I was just like, I liked people and I never tried to sell anyone too much car and people need cars and people hate car salesmen and they're afraid of them. So I just became, and I had like an espresso machine at my desk and I always brought like lots of coffee and I would sit there at my desk when I didn't have to sell cars. And I would, that's where I would design the bag. And I just, it worked really well. <laughs> so I was able to like be at a job and still do roost roast. And then 
I would, you know, I, you know, sit there and when someone came in, I was, I really, and I was really, I didn't, I was really good at selling cars and I loved it. So I did that for four years, you know, but the big transition was I, after four years of doing that, I got, I was like, I set my goals at, um, like if I could sell coffee at the farmer's market here in Ann Arbor and that kind of like related to my, um, just like being from Ann Arbor. So that was, I got that because that was one of the things Ann Arbor's had its farmer's market for 80 years or something, or maybe a hundred. I don't even know what it is. Wow. Um, anyway, so that was where I really started selling some cars. Buying a car to get a bag of coffee has got to be the most expensive way to get a bag of coffee beans. That that speaks volumes about how good your roast was even back then in the day. That is hilarious. And you know what's funny is people still, like there's so many customers who still buy roost roast and still talk to me about their cars, you know, or they'll call me when they need a car. Or, I mean, literally they they will t they'll say, I bought like three cars from you or something like that. Or, and they still buy Roost Rose. So it was really a good thing. So thank you, Dunning Subaru. Cheers. Cheers. Dunning is awesome. Cheers, Dunning. Cheers, Dunning. Cheers Subaru. So I'm going to, I'm going to rewind for just a little bit. Cause I feel like we fast. Yeah, please. Maybe I, I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. You're, you're already this master Subaru salesman slash coffee roaster. That's slinging multi-thousand dollar bags of coffee. Um, <laughs> But how did you even know where to source pre-roasted coffee beans? And how did you learn to, to roast? I mean, this was kind of in the time before YouTube. And, you know, can you just open the yellow pages and be like, perfect. I'll have some Peruvian pre-roasted coffee beans shipped to this address. How did you source those? Yeah. So, the, well, the funny thing was there was this place in Brighton that sold green coffee. And it was a coffee roasting shop. And so he had these little bags, like you could buy five pounds and I was buying it from him. And that was, you know, and it's really coffee when I just kind of like, since I had been a chef, I sort of knew, I mean, I just, it's really coffee roasting is not that complex. It's basically like roasting nuts in your oven. You know, like if you, it's harder to roast, like I would say like pine nuts, burn really easy you know if you try to roast pine nuts because they're super oily and they have a lot of fat in them and they just like they're they get to the perfect point and then they just burn right so nuts so coffee roasting is just like that in in a way it's like that's what you're doing you a coffee bean is basically i just kind of like looked up and read about and there's a lot of stuff about coffee um and then i just taste it you know and i think uh, let's see. Yeah, there was a lot of times I was kind of like, I wonder if I'm doing this right. You know what I mean? But I just kept doing it. And I kind of knew that I was, I mean, I, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there. And, and then now I've, I've, you know, there, I've bought books by different people, this Rob Hoos guy. And I mean, there's tons of very crazy, intense books about the chemistry of coffee, but essentially just in like a nutshell, what it is, is you have this a coffee um, cherry is pretty much like a cherry we, you know, that grows in Michigan, only smaller. And it's, so you have this fruity outside, right? And the nut is inside is the coffee bean itself. So you have this fruit that's on the outside. And if you go to a coffee, like growing country um, and eat the coffee right off the tree, it's delicious. Like I've been to Costa Rica and just, you know, sat there and chowed coffee beans. Like, raw, like super ripe red coffee beans. They're very, very sweet. 
Some of them are sour, some are sweet, but in different places. Um, but essentially, once you take the fruit off the coffee, and then you have this raw bean that you're roasting, what's happening inside as it roasts is you have moisture inside the bean that needs to sort of come out. And so as it heats up, you have like a sort of steamy, and then it drying, and then the roasting. So it's like the you that process is you just do on a careful basis, and you sort of with each kind of coffee you test different roasts and different um, you know variations. But basically, you're just like heating it up, and you're roasting it, and then and you're you're heating, you're getting all the moisture out of it, you're drying it, and then you're roasting it, and then you take it out of the roaster so it's not a really super hard process a little bit of trial and error and yeah and there's a lot of air movement and a lot of you have to have a turn but we so that was funny because i went from having like a when i was this is a funny to go back to the car sales um when you're a car salesman people the people who are the car salesman with you will they want you to buy things it's, this is really funny. So I was, I remember I was online looking at this coffee roaster online and they're like, what are you doing? Cause there was one computer in the whole dealership and everyone would stand over each other's shoulders, like looking at it when you're on the computer. And, and I was like, Oh, I'm looking at this coffee roaster. They're like, well, you should buy it, buy it, buy it. So I bought this coffee roaster from this guy in Ohio who had worked at like in San Francisco as one of the major coffee roaster repair guys. And he came back to Ohio and he started building roasters. So he had this, I still have this roaster today. It was like, a, it roasts seven pounds of coffee and it runs on propane and it's a gas flame that comes through a perforated drum that turns. And uh, so I bought that roaster and that kind of like, that really expanded my, but that didn't last long because I ended up, you know, moving into another place and using another roaster and actually buying that roaster. But um, for a little while, that was my roaster. But yeah, just I just through a lot of experimentation and tasting is pretty much how I learned how to roast coffee. And then, you know, I verified that I was doing the right thing later on by going to coffee conferences and, you know, seeing what other people were doing and taking like roasting classes at the conferences and seeing that, you know, this is, I'm doing it right. This is good. So I verified that, yes, this is pretty good. So, and the customers kept coming back. So, you know. That's usually a pretty good sign. If the customers keep coming back, regardless yeah, of what anyone yeah. else says, you're doing something right. Well, we, and then in uh, like probably like four, four years ago, we bought this Loring Roaster, which is like a real sort of state of the art. I think you saw that when you visit Roost Roast mm-hmm. um, with your class. So that was like pretty, that was a major, that roaster is amazing because it was built by people who, have been roasting coffee for many years and you know it had like all these people had um uh, collaborated on the development of it and it's an amazing machine so that thing does a great job yeah so that was good so we fast forward to the part where you're this master coffee roaster and now you've got all of these different coffee lines with some of the most creative possible names for any coffee place on the planet how maybe you can tell me what some of your favorite lines are and how in the story behind those names yeah, so the funny thing is, is the, um, this is really, so during my whole travels and everything in my journal writing, I, there was a period where I was doing these poetry, I would do like poetry sort of stand up, like poetry uh, readings. 
And um, so I've always had this like background of just like writing crazy stuff down. And um, well, this is the funny, how I came up with Lobster Butter Love was there was a restaurant called Eve and uh, she, Eve was, is an amazing, she's a great, good friend. And she, she agreed to start using my coffee. And I remember I was doing a tasting at her place with her whole staff. This is a long time ago. So 2000, probably seven or something. Yeah. And uh, so she had all these people in the room and were, and she wanted this, she was, she's like, I want the best coffee you've ever made for my best restaurant ever. And I'm like, okay, yeah, let me work on this. So I had mixed these three different kinds of coffee together. And um, I, uh, I was at, you know, we're at her place and um, we did this whole tasting. And one of the people, like different things that came up were like, people were saying it tastes like butter. People were saying it tastes like peanut butter. And they were, and I had like, I had explained to them that the most intense thing that I ever made in a restaurant was this thing called lobster butter, which is you take a lobster, partially cook it and take it out of the shell. And then you just put it in clarified butter and serve the whole unshelled lobster in butter. It's called lobster butter. It even, like, if you look in culinary, you know, term books, it's in there. So I just, I was riding my bike back from this tasting and I kept saying, they had said, you know, the girl had said butter and I had said lobster. And so I kept going lobster butter. And I was just riding my bike going lobster butter, lobster butter, lobster butter. And I just kept saying it. And then I started saying lobster butter love lobster butter love, lobster butter love, as I rode my bike along. And so I just rode it on a bag. So for like three or four years, that was the name of the coffee, just written on the bag, lobster butter love. There was no logo. And I'm like, how do you make a logo, you know, out of a lobster? It's just going to be too corny, right? So I remember I was, I was in, on this trip, I was in Barbados. This is really, I was in a bathroom in Barbados and I saw this little tiny lobster stamp on the wall. And I was like, oh my God, that, that would work perfect. So it was just like the, the words fit into that graphic, you know, for me. I just took a picture of it with my first phone, which was a Blackberry, you know. So I had this little photo and I went back to the, I think I was, I was still, that was after I stopped selling cars. So I, and then I made a woodblock car. All the, all the, lo, all the labels for Roost Roast were originally um, linoleum block carvings. So woodblock cuts. And, uh, so that's how I came up with Lobster Butter Love. And then, you know, so then we had Bridge French Neighbor, which was, you know, that was like when I lived in France, there, there's, these stories are all on the website, on our website. Um, my friend in France, she, it was early in the morning, we were drinking coffee and there was, we were in her little like gravel floor cabin and someone had built this giant house next door to it and it's a super big mansion. And I said, this coffee's pretty good. And she's like, not not as good as the wasn you know the neighbor <laughs> you know just like oh my god and so i was like that became like the rich french neighbor and badass woman was named after uh my two friends had a restaurant in ipsy um and they called themselves the badass woman so that was their that was their blend but there's just been so many different uh um you know just like let's see mother pheasant plucker was one of my employees brian uh, Barch, he, he, he was the one who named that. And I was like, yeah, that's good. I like it. It's, it's based on a poem that he came up with. And then the cowboy blend is a light roast, which is funny because that throws people off. But that was, 
based on um, my, I worked at this ranch in Wyoming for a summer, which was kind of interesting, you know, a, a dude ranch. Yeah. Yeah. Fly so, fishing and horseback riding. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a good summer. I didn't do that. I was just cooking and working the whole time. But uh, yeah. Sounds like a less good summer. Still fun. <laughs> yeah. It's still fun though. Fun people. Yeah. So you mentioned a little while back that you knew if the customers kept coming back at the farmer's market, you were onto something. Is that what happened? And then you said, okay, perfect. I'm going to go full hog. I'm going to open my first location. Rouge Drift will hit the big time. How well, did you it was, no, it didn't really even work like that, Sam. Cause it's like, here's how it was. It was like, I was, my initial idea was I'm going to have this website and I'm going to roast coffee. You know, that was what it was going to be. And it, and it was like, you know, the web orders were like, very few and far between because it's like you really I, you, that's not how it works on the web right you got to really you got to have like like teams of people doing things so I just the farmer's market was where I first started but what happened was was that I was the garage roasting became well I since I once I started the farmer's market the garage roasting was the the um how did it work the just the legal getting legal with the department of agriculture became really necessary. So you couldn't just roast in your garage anymore. So <laughs> I just, I had to get legit. So I ended up going to another roaster that was in Ann Arbor and that's where roost roast is now. It's, there was a roaster called San Rafael and I went to them and I was like, Hey guys, I'm, I need to roast coffee on a real roaster. They had this Dietrich um, IR 12, which is a 12 kilo roaster. So the Dietrich was really great roaster. It was a huge step up from what I was roasting on. And it allowed me to roast way more coffee. And they, they were like, sure, you just you know pay us per pound to roast and roast coffee here. So I would go in, I had a key to the place and I would go in at night and roast the coffee and bag my coffee there. And then, but then that kind of like, that was really, it was really sketchy because they're, I didn't know what their work ethic was or what was happening. And a funny story behind that is just their landlord had got a bag of lobster butter as a Christmas gift in a basket. And he didn't, he, they weren't paying any rent. And he called me and he said, you owe me money. And I'm like, wait a minute, where are you? Who are you? And what's, what are we doing here? So I went and met this guy and he was like, cause I kept saying like, you know, you guys, if you're going to just, why don't you just sell me the roaster and I'll take over your rent and do this thing. And they were like, no, 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 no. We're going to move to Kalamazoo. We're going to do all these different things. And I was like, okay. No. So I didn't know what they were doing, but um, I just, it was funny. I just kept doing what I do, you know, roast coffee, go over the market. And I would, at that point, the web thing was nuts. I would ride my bike and deliver a bag of coffee to someone. Like if someone had done the math, on my business and like worked out how many hours I worked, it would, they would have just stopped doing it. Like literally I just kept doing it cause I loved to do it. And it was, there was no way I was making any money. It was just insane. Like, was it, it was just was a joke. What's that? Were you the only employee at this point? Yeah. I was the only one. Like, I would literally ride, like if someone ordered coffee, I would just like get on my bike and ride it over there. And, uh, and it was like, once I even took coffee to a, my friend's wedding with, in on a bike with like a baby stroller that I'd like hooked behind the bike with these big things of coffee. I would do really stupid things. It's just like whatever. And 
it, I think that was the sheer, like, just nonstop, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, so to go back to that, um, the, uh, they just basically, this guy was like, well, what happened was the next day they called me, they, they took me up on my offer to buy them out. And that was funny that they, it took the landlord to like tell me that they hadn't paid rent. So anyway, that all worked out really well for me. And really like, I was, I am lucky that that happened because next, now I had a shop, you know, and I really, people weren't really coming in the door yet. They were just, it was really funny when I was roasting there, a lot of times people would stop by to, um, cause they smelled the coffee roasting and it wasn't even my like place, but I was there more than they were. So I would be like, Hey, yeah, I'll sell you coffee. <laughs> it's just like, so the, that became really great to have that headquarters there. And uh, that that's where Roost Roast is now on Rosewood street. And that's how it ended up that I got it. And it wasn't, it wasn't a plan. It was just like, it just happened that way organically. Yeah. I've been to that Rosewood place a number of times. I haven't been recently because of the pandemic, but it's, I mean, what strikes me is that it's so much more than a coffee shop. There's always a million and a half people outside talking. Some are drinking coffee. Some aren't drinking coffee. There's dogs around. Sometimes there's someone barbecuing. You know, it really is a, a true vibrant community. Was that intentional? Did, like, was that part of the plan always or did it just happen? Well, I kind of like the funny thing was, is that I really, I, so I really wanted, like whenever I'd see someone drinking a cup of coffee somewhere, because I, at that point I had not, even served a cup of coffee to anyone you know and I was just like god oh my god I want that to be roost roast in that cup you know I want them to try roost roast so that was then then slowly that location became a the so after we moved in and everything then I, I just put a coffee machine uh, an espresso machine um on the bar and then I had hired my first employee who who was Brian and he would roast the coffee I would sit, stand out front and, um, and I had a girl named Jessica working for me at that point, And she was hysterical. Like she would have a panic attack if she drank coffee. <laughs> she, she was just like, but she was really funny. And, and she also was really savvy with, uh, you know, the web. So her and I would literally just, we, we would just hang out out front and um, we would, I would make coffee for the customers who came in and she would, and she would make coffee too. And she was, people came in to see her. She was so funny. And she would do, we would, we started doing stuff where we were just, we realized at that point that we could create the news. Like if something happened, MLive would pick it up. So we would like <laughs> make up news stories and that would surround something that about Roos Rose, like the water main broke on the street or whatever, just like a car accident or whatever. We'd just say, oh, this happened. And we're at Roost Roast and here we are. And I don't know, we just would like, however we could, we would try to put ourselves on the map. And that worked because people started coming in. Yeah, you hijacked local news, you used it. <laughs> <laughs> and we would just think of like crazy guerrilla marketing things we could do to try to, and then I, then it, well, while I was working at Subaru, this is a funny story, I, I, I finally had my first ever paid for one week vacation. And this is like, you know, I'm like, very i'm very much a grown adult at this point and i haven't had really a a job where you know i'd ever had like any kind of vacation paid for so i just had a string of like millions of different cooking jobs so i worked so the ann arbor film festival asked me to serve coffee at the film festival and donate money 
and serve the coffee. So I donated money and served the coffee and took my whole week long vacation to do it. <laughs> so that's how crazy. And I had a great time and I met millions of people and you know, that kind of stuff is where we really did mega gorilla marketing for roost roast. It was really good. So we kind of got super into the community and we still, you know, donate to the film festival and help them and whatever, you know, it's like, so that was, you know, I was just for like, you know, 10 years, I literally just did whatever I could to serve coffee. So I want to talk about that a little bit because you're, you're touching on the local community and I should mention that you are the founder of the deep local Ann Arbor movement. So this is a great way to kick off the podcast, but what has community meant to you and, and really just the community also of other local Ann Arbor businesses? How have you fueled that fire? Well, it was, it's funny because right when, when I started Roost Roast was, was the economic downturn for Michigan when, you know, the car, the car companies were getting bailouts and a lot of people lost their jobs. And so people were kind of reinventing themselves and it was the perfect time. And then that's when the whole movement of local kind of started. That was like 2007, 2008 you know, 2009. And that's when, you know, and that was like, I just was at the right place at the right time. And I, you know, that was funny because the farmer's market itself was almost like an incubator for all these different, you know, like Tantre farms and green things farms and uh, David Klingenberger at the brinery. And, you know, then you had a lot of like Sparrow market and Monahan's fish and like Spencer, the restaurant, they started up the guy, um, uh, just so many different restaurants and bars and everything. It was really amazing. Like, you know, I think it was much different. It was a time when people could start a business and people would support it, you know? Cause I think if you look back since I grew up here and everything, I was thinking about this from your questions and it's like, when I was really young, there was a lot of small businesses and then all of a sudden they, they put this mall when the mall came, which, you know, is Briarwood mall. That was a big, the mall was almost like Amazon hitting like Ann Arbor because it, it caused a lot of little businesses to shut down because everyone was going to the mall. And there was like the mall culture moved to Ann Arbor. So then, but that was sort of the opposite of what was happening with this was like, wow, the mall culture, this is like small business culture. And, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, one of my buddies, Jeff um, McCabe, who he started this company called Nifty Hoops. He was kind of really amazing because he helped all these farmers grow vegetables in the winter. And that, and then the winter farmer's market was nuts. Like I remember the first winter farmer's markets that I was out there, you know, it was like super cold. There was barely anyone, but now you go to the winter farmer's market and there's, you know, there's at least like a hand, a half dozen, there's a dozen vendors and they all have food and they all have greens and it's kind of nuts that you can buy greens in Michigan all year round. Yeah. It's pretty amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. So where do you think the pendulum is swinging right now? Is it swinging back towards mall culture or even further towards local culture? Yeah. That's the scary thing is that, you know, it's like, I think right now in Ann Arbor, it's, it's staying in the local culture really strong. Um, but then you, I talk to people and you hear them say, you know, we're Amazon shoppers, you know, like, and that's kind of what's really weird is I've seen that uh, in the summers I've gone, the past two summers I've gone to um, this island in Maine where I, I hustle roost roast and cook lobsters and have a really good time. It's, that's a whole nother story. But 
it's funny because the island, it was always really hard for people to get anything. So, you know, they had to go off the island to get things. But now they can order stuff and get it to the island. It's kind of like, it's just really, it's sort of detrimental in my opinion. Just like how the, you can just, I don't know, maybe it's good, maybe it's bad, but it's, I hope, like, where do I think the pendulum swing? I think it's kind of like, it's what, what's weird about the COVID, COVID virus is that, you know, people are so afraid about getting the virus that they'll, they're ordering things online now too a lot. You know? I mean, that's kind of nuts how they, you know, that's where we're, and we've put some, we're putting more energy into our web business right now because that, because people want to just get stuff. They don't want to go out into the world, which freaks yeah. me out. Yeah. So how, so maybe talk to me a little bit more about that. How, how has COVID hit Ruse Roast? And how have you navigated that? I know I finally was able to stop by the Liberty Express location, which was wonderful to see it finally open. Good, um, thank you. you know, it was a few months, but but yeah, how has that affected? No, you? so here's this is when when COVID hit, it was really interesting because it, you know, we're just it was. I talked to my buddy Eli at, when it first hit. You know, he my buddy Eli, he works at the library, and he's you know super smart. And I'm like, so Eli, what's going to happen? He goes everything's going to close down. And I'm just like, are you serious? And then like three days later, we were closed down. Like, so we shut down um, our Liberty shop for seven months and we, and then Rosewood was shut down for a little bit. We, we kept like, people would stop by and pick up bags of coffee, but um, we shut down the uh, drink part for like two months, but then we kind of, it was, you know, it's the good thing about, my experience like having had all these jobs and just and also you know Bruce roast has always been a very you know it's a very it's like nimble i've always tried to keep it nimble so we're never like stuck with one way and it's very diverse you know we have we have the you know web store we have you know we have farmers market we have uh wholesale we're in in stores so, and then, and also the cafes. So what we noticed was, was that, you know, people were buying way more coffee in the stores and uh, they were buying way more coffee online. And so we, we basically just kind of focused on that. I mean, everyone who worked at Roost Roast was amazing too, because the, they pitched in and we were able to keep it going. So what we did was we set up these, to go windows at Rosewood and that kind of worked out really great. And that like, luckily again, that became because we had great weather and all, all that outdoor lawn area for people to space each other apart. That became like a huge area for people to hang out. So that was nuts. And then they just kept coming. So that was great. And you know, it's funny. I think that having like looked at this whole thing from, you know, different perspectives like being on an island being in maine being here it's like i feel like there's like this people are they really want to be out in the world mm -hmm. but they're they want to be out in the world so if you provide some way for them to do that and i think closing the streets in ann arbor was really good how they did that because that allows people to go outside and be around other people and, you know, it may look deserted, but there's some need there and want of people to come out in the world and have fun, drink a cup of coffee or meet friends or whatever. You know? Yeah.
So yeah. So I'll make this my last question because I don't want to keep you from your beloved roaster. No, I'm sorry I'm taking so long. No, too. no, this is this is amazing. This is great. Um, but thinking again about that pendulum, what is your ask for the Ann Arbor community to make sure that it continues swinging back even further towards local, and we don't uh, you know get scared off by COVID or the pandemic and swing too far towards Amazon and just having things easily delivered to your house where you're your yeah. I think the I think the ask would be you know like just. I think that if everyone this wearing your mask and all that stuff, that's really good. I mean, at first I was just like, this is ridiculous. But I think if people respect that and, and they support, you know, the local businesses and uh, get out there, you know, it's like, what, I mean, yeah, definitely go out and support local business. I mean, maybe it's the, maybe the ask is just like, keep it local, keep it deep local, right? Keep it deep <laughs> go local. deeper. <laughs> deeper local level keep going Damn, deeper, deeper local that's it no um i mean yeah definitely and uh because you know it was really funny when when this pandemic hit what we we ended up going right to the farms and getting things from we went to whitney farm and we got food right they set up this whole thing where people were coming out there it was amazing what happened also tantre has a hub where we were going out there on Saturdays and picking up their farm share. And, you know, we were even getting, the COVID caused us to just even get better food from, you know, if we support the, the farmers, you got to take care of the farmers for sure, you mm -hmm. know. And yeah, we've yeah. kind of like at Roost Roast, we've, we're really making efforts to try to be more, you know, we just, we spend a lot of money to put solar panels on the roof and we're running on solar power now and we're trying to, you know, we're addressing this planetary crisis and trying to like really, you know, I don't know, like we want to be sustainable. That's, that's the key. Yeah. Local I think sustaining the local business will sustain the community. How's that? I love it. What's end there? That's perfect. Yeah. You're not going to get perfect. a better. Okay. Put a right. <laughs> just, <laughs> well, what did I just say? Sustain the local business. <laughs> It's Sam again. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. If you did enjoy it, please share it far and wide. Until next time, keep it local.